0: And Welcome to this week's Talking Codswallop and on this week's episode I have a very cool, very interesting guest I have on uh, who I interestingly, well I'll tell you what, rather than describe how I got in to know this gentleman I'm going to bring into the conversation but I have uh, Mr Leonard Pigon who I have been wanting to talk to for a very long time and I have been lucky enough to pull it together now so I was going to say good evening, but for you, you're in a totally different time zone, Leonard. So, good. Is it good afternoon for you?
1: It is good afternoon. Yes, thank you. And is it Lenny or Leonard? You can call me Lenny.
0: Okay, no problem. We can go with Lenny. I always want to get it right. So, Lenny, first thing is, thank you for coming on to the uh, the podcast, onto the show, uh, and tell us a bit about yourself. How where does the uh, Lenny Pig story start?
1: Oh, uh, I'm from uh, Indiana, the uh, city of Kokomo, and um, I have been doing acting, writing, stand-up comedy, some independent film, and I've written a couple of comic books. That's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell, and in between there, it's like I went to college, and I you know, got to meet some cool people and live in a different city and, and all that.
0: You are what we call like one of these multi talented threat people because <laughs> you've done yeah. that you know, that many different <laughs> things. Most people only stay to one lane, but you have absolutely smashed it and gone into all these other different things. Uh and I'm not just saying this to massage like your ego, but I watched the the films you'd links you'd send me. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. I absolutely love them. And what really amused me is the fact that I mentioned you to somebody I work with who mm-hmm. knows nothing about my podcast or what I do. But as soon as I mentioned you, they went, I know who that guy is.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, we're <laughs> getting around, I guess.
0: <laughs> so, to explain how we kind of got to how we got, initially got in contact with each other we were on uh well you were on a podcast called Reels and Heels which I've been on previously but unfortunately I was unwell uh, unable to go on it that evening but Lenny is such a nice guy that he actually reached out and said if you ever want to speak to me or talk to me or do anything like that we can look at doing that so this shows what a lovely guy this is so tell us about you. I'm always interested to know for people I talk to tell me a bit about when you were growing up in your life and how you, uh, how you got where you are,
1: if you would, please. I was uh, raised an only child and I had a couple of half siblings, but I wasn't always very close with them. I didn't see them often, you know, but um, man, it felt like the long, lone road, you know what I'm saying? Um, and interestingly enough, I've, you know, like being a kid and growing up and trying to figure yourself out, you end up looking to other sources to entertain yourself. You know, uh, for me, it was like reading comic books. Uh, I mean, of course, TV, everybody was real big into TV, but I liked comic books. I liked the choose your own adventure books. I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid. I was into so many things and it's funny how like a lot of those have kind of fallen away, but the comic books have remained. That's something that's always going to be a part of who and what I do. Um, but I guess I'm taking a going on a little bit of a tangent, I suppose, but this is the origin story. Uh. <laughs>
0: Take whatever route you want, and I myself am an only child, so I'm interested yeah. to see how we can compare yeah. notes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, because being an only child, I mean, you you had to kind of figure out, you know, if, if you didn't want to be have like friends in the neighborhood, or if you weren't well adjusted enough to to have as have many. It's like you know, you, there you are with your action figures on the porch, you know, or, you know, in the backyard, or you're going to another neighborhood for some kind of an adventure. But yeah, it's, um, I, I did a little, a little scraping and scrapping here and there and didn't want to, but you know, same token, I do not want to get slapped around either. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: I can, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Degree.
1: I, I had um, a conversation uh, the other day with a gentleman, and one of the things that came up was uh, I compared parallel parking to bar fighting.
0: Go, I'm, like, I'm intrigued. Go. On. I, I can do both,
1: <laughs> but it is an absolute last resort. I'm just like, if there's no other choice,
0: and I guess we'll do this. I yeah. get it with the bar fighting, but I think it. <laughs> <laughs> Coming on Powell Park in you know, a Yeah, <laughs> they're both just
1: very difficult, you know, navigating this kind of scenery. The, that kind of scenery is just <laughs> haphazard at best, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes they're in need most. <laughs> yeah. So, what you were talking about? Um, you, you mentioned earlier on your on your education. So, what 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 what's your education background been? And did, did it help you get into the the work you're doing now?
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's sort of a roundabout way. But um, I've got a BA in communications from Marion College, which actually now it's uh, Marion University out of Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, my BA was communication minor in Spanish. Um, with communication, it's like I was focusing on television and radio and, and that sort of thing, because before I was actually in college, I had worked in radio during the summers. And so I was on air talent doing that. And of course, in between I'm doing theater, theatrical productions. I was in a reader's theater group. Um, I did some improv classes here and there. Um, So yeah, it all kind of tied together. Um, It just, at first didn't really seem that way because uh, for a good while, like fresh out of college, it's like the only jobs you could find were like, Telemarketing or uh, sales jobs. And it's, just like, ah, it's not really what I want to do, but hey, it's decent money. Why not? It'll work till you get where you want to get and do what you want to do. I mean, that's that's what us creatives have to do, really.
0: And that's the, the, the interesting thing. I mean, to me, you've got the kind of voice that works perfectly for, for doing that kind of thing, which is the, the thing that I also remember when I first heard you on the reels and heels, of, that man's got a really cool voice. And that's, that, that's what kind of stuck in my memory quite a lot, along with the, the things you talk about, what you did. So, um, interestingly, where we have a similar thing that you mentioned is the fact that you're saying that they're coming back to comics. Because mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, I liked reading comics as a child. And then as I got older, I probably for a period wasn't so much into them. And then you do find yourself coming back into them. So the question I would like to ask is, who do you prefer, Batman or Superman, and why? Oh man! <laughs> Everyone says whenever I ask them, you know, they always have the same thing. Oh man, that's a.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean they're, they're both great characters. It's like if uh, I've always said that if if Superman got elected president, there'd be people getting getting mad. Going, well, Batman doesn't handle money better. <laughs> you know, that's just sort of like this. Uh, honestly i'd say superman he had the humble beginnings despite all the powers like you stripped down to the core of that character you have a guy you know from from you know the midwest he had that upbringing in you know the nice the good parents you know if he landed in a crappy neighborhood you'd have a supervillain on your hands but superman i think kind of represents the best in all of us
0: Yeah, I once, when I was telling somebody about Superman, described him this way, I said, he's who we would want to be, personality-wise, with all the best things he he does and the, the positive things, he's who... As you know, from an um, uh, what's like an emotional standpoint, and doing the right thing, he's the person you would want to be. The only thing is, you'd probably, if it would look at the relative human beings, is we'd all turn into evil, horrible superpowers. right? <laughs> but I cling to the fact that I suspect if we did have Superman's powers, I'm always worried that if I had Superman's powers, I'd I'd go bad, I'd go rogue, and start using it to my to my advantage. <laughs> But hey, we've got to cling to the fact it wouldn't happen. So, with regard to the 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 kind of work you went into, mm-hmm. uh, and looking at the film, sort of uh, work you went into, can you tell us a bit more about how that came about? And because uh, obviously after you've done the university, how did you move into that kind of that kind of world?
1: Well, at the time, like I said, I'm still doing theater here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a comedy a sketch comedy group of Nietzsche's Trailer Park and uh i got involved with them about a year or two after college and they a lot of them were actors that were from different uh there were a couple from some improv groups and a couple from other theatrical groups in town that just trying to find their own way and so we all kind of came together and it was cool and we did a great production um and it was right around 9/11 i remember because the the time we uh we it was it wasn't our opening night but i think it was our second night and that had happened during the day. But he was thinking that, oh, my God, I don't know the crowd's going to laugh. And you know what? They did because they needed that catharsis because we were bombarded that day. And it just really messed mm-hmm. everybody's heads up, you know. Um, but in, I noticed the arts. It's like I was doing the poetry slam scene for a while. And that kind of blended into some of the acting. And that kind of blended into this, that, and the other. End. And so uh, living in Indianapolis, I'd hear about auditions and things. So I'd go check them out, whether it was for film, theater, whatever. And so, um, it was kind of funny when I went to the audition for, um, mental scars. Mm -hmm. Um, it was at a hotel that I'd seen where they used to do conventions and stuff at like the small scale. ones. I'm like, Oh, I know where this place is. Cool. Okay. I'm familiar. And then, uh, go in and, uh, I ended up sitting in the lobby, you know, waiting my turn and everything. And there's a, this well-dressed guy sitting across from me. He, has, uh, he was a light, complected black guy, shaved head, the pencil-thin mustache, stylish suit, you know. I mean, this guy looked like a character. And uh, I think his name was Ivan Rogers, and he was a uh, actor, actor, and I guess he'd started directing a lot of films, too. He was from Indianapolis. I didn't know who the guy was at the time. I didn't recognize him. But I mm-hmm. sat there in the lobby talking to him. We talked about movies and different things. And, um, and then later on, of course, after the fact, I thought that's the director. And then I go in, I give an audition. And it's like I end up being just a construction worker. But I met other actors and that. And it was a, it was a fun time. Um, like, if you look up the trailer for Mental Scars, uh, there's a point where you see me just running for my life. Like you see me just hot footing it through a uh, through a junkyard, and and at the time I had on uh, blue jeans and a yellow shirt, because so I told a friend of mine I said I was channeling my inner Luke Cage because I was walking around carrying scrap around.
0: But um, <laughs> see, my mind went when as soon as you said uh, that's what my mind went to on the yeah. color scheme. I was like, yeah. That I was thinking, why did that seem familiar? And then you explain why. I always want to know because, like, people who go into the entertainment industry for that kind of work, and I spoke to actors about this. But I want to see what your kind of take on it is. It's not what you would consider a safe option. So, when you go into it, what kind of take do you get from friends and family if you go, "This is the plan"? 'Cause for some people who were, if you say you come from an acting family, and I've spoke to people who are actors who come from an acting family, they're like, Well mm-hmm. my family knows nothing else. But did you ever get the uh <laughs> you know, the kind other of like, colour are you sure? <laughs> um
1: everybody's pretty encouraging. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have any naysayers in my family. Um so so I lucked out in that respect. That and they've seen it's like, you know, it 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 it, it just kept evolving, you know, like Oh, you know, you're doing stage plays and they're like, Hey, I am in mean, this been a film? Really? Yeah. We come premiere. It's going to be at IEPY, whatever. Let's go check it out. All right. And then, Oh my God. Yeah. You're there. You are on the screen. You're like, wow. Okay. It's very surreal. I mean, I, I'm not like rich and famous at this point. Um, but it's, it is kind of odd. Sometimes I get recognized here and there. Like I said, I don't know what project they recognize me from the most recent one. I did Kadari currency. Um, which is a uh, crime story that's on uh, Amazon prime and mm-hmm. uh, TV, yeah, yeah. TV. Um, there was a guy who came to me in this store and he was just like, Oh man, you're evil. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just thought he was just some random guy coming up, I'm like, when he's like condemning me or something, you know, he's <laughs> like, no, I'm so, what are you talking about? He goes on that show, man, you were laughing, man. It was like a
0: joker. Well, that, it's what my friend knew you from. Oh, no, from the uh, character. That's York. the one. Wow. That's the one. Yeah. That is the one. But it's, I I I just couldn't get over the facts. I'm like, I work with you. You know very little about my podcast and what I do, but you know some and this is no disrespect disrespecting to you at all, but my like, you know the guy I've just mentioned that I'm gonna be talking to, but you know like naff all about my right. <laughs> But hey, obviously you are the better draw than I am. So de- most definitely, you are the better draw, sir. Um, um you, kind. So when you when you actually get into like the the working in film and TV, what is it? Because you just sort of like hit upon it slightly. When you see yourself for the first time on, you know, the the, the big screen, the small screen, whatever. Mm-hmm. What's it like? What what's the hit like?
1: You know, like everybody's probably that knows you is probably going, oh wow, that's so and so on TV, great to see him, blah blah blah. You know. Meanwhile, you're looking at yourself, you're like, oh, I should have held my gut in there. Oh, <laughs> like you know, I'm just over analyzing it sometimes, going, ah, oh, I don't remember that take. Like that wasn't a good take. Oh, that works there. Oh man, my collar was up and it was, yeah. <sighs> like why didn't somebody tell me? I'm like <laughs> picking it apart. Like I'm like I'm like the continuity killer over there. I'm like no. <laughs> you know and it's funny uh when we were doing canary that's kind of what mm-hmm. happened i had to try to keep a similar look and um so i didn't cut my hair for a few months and i was it was I say
0: you had longer hair didn't you yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: like if you if you see me in the first the first episode of that series my hair like the scene where i'm laughing my hair's all flared out and i'm just like you know cackling and that was something that was uh kind of done on the fly the uh, I won't spoil the, the entire series, but I will just say there's one scene where this guy uh, was sent to do a job by his boss. He screwed up the hit. His brother gets killed in the process. So this guy comes back to this particular boss, and he's like, hey, hey, man, we need to get these guys. And he's like, so he didn't take out who I told you to. And he's like, no, but if we get some more people, we do. And the guy just... And proceeds to just give a beating. And my character's there. And in the scene, I remember, like, because the, the this differentiation in size between the two actors, I mean, the the boss character, very physically imposing, Kane Marcos is his name. He's a, a rapper here in the States. And, um, I mean, the dude body built, so he's just ripped. And there's this scene, you see him throw that arm, and a guy hits the ground. Now, my character had brought this dude in. I was kind of like a gatekeeper, if you will. And, um, for whatever reason, I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, I think this is the cat. I think the guy would get a kick out of it. Like that character, Slug, is uh, who I play in that series. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I said, is that cool? And I said, yeah, we'll give, we'll try it in this take. Okay. And then i just start cackling. So, like, the whole time, like, as you're watching the scene play out, you see this guy, he's getting the stuffing kicked out of him. I mean, he's getting a serious beating, and the entire time I'm in the background just cackling like a maniac. You know, I'm standing at the pool table watching this take place. <laughs> so when they cut away to me, I'm just like, <laughs> you know, full-on madman
0: mode, which I just thought was brilliant. <laughs> so it just cracks me up. I just thought it was brilliant. Oh, thank you, thank you. So. When it comes to, I mean, this might sound like a bit of a strange question, but when it comes to choosing the sort of things you're going to be working on, how do you go about doing that? Is it just the thing of, well, this sort of interest, I'll do it. Or do you have a specific sort of uh, type of role you want to go to or go for? Or do you do you do it from, say, and this sounds like a moral perspective ever?
1: Um, Most of what I've, I've done as far as picking something like, is, is it something that, as far as the description of that specific character is something that I could kind of embody. I'm like, I think I could do that. Yeah. You know, or especially if they, they say maybe they're looking for a certain type. I'm like, okay. Uh, when I was in college, my roommate and I would go to auditions and things. And at one point, uh, this, uh, this professor, it was, he was, he told a couple of students, but not all the students about a commercial for, uh, it was something they said they wanted the all American look. That was the phrase he used. He wanted somebody with the all American look. So he didn't tell me and my roommate, or, my, or he had a conversation with my roommate about it. And uh, he was like, Well, what, why don't you tell us? We act too. And he goes, Well, you guys are more of the dark European types, which I thought was an odd thing to say, but I guess he didn't think that my roommate or I represent Americana. I'm like, eh, that's fine. That's whatever. Now I've, there've been times I've gone in and what I'll try to do is I'll look at what's going on with that, with a specific character and just kind of come up with something quick for them, you know, give them some kind of energy, some kind of persona. So at least they can see um, what I'm capable of. And then I'll change my voice up there've been times where it's like I could I do readings in different voices and people would look at me strangely. I'm like, I can keep doing more voices if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I've noticed the horror films have been pretty good to me. And I've been in a few of those
0: yeah.
1: and the crime dramas and the crime, the crime based stuff. I think really there's something very appealing about it. I think everybody likes to see a gangster or a mobster or whatever. It's, it's just such a, it's such a a big thing in in cinema. And so I've done a few times. I've played like bodyguards and, you know, tough guys and whatnot. And that's been fun too. I I always consider myself a non-traditional male lead. So I always feel like I can, I've got enough presence about me. I can call attention to myself, but at the same token, you know, it's not necessarily a traditional, the square jawed hero walking in the room. It's me. You know, it's like a different energy, but a different kind of strength, if you will.
0: And which of you preferred playing? Because now people always say that the villain or someone who's of that sort is a more interesting character. Because, for example, I always find the villain more interesting. But like, I don't know if you watched it, but Cobra Kai is on at the moment. Yeah, I watched um, it. And... When the bad guys are in there, I'm like, these are far more interesting than the good guys. There's a far more fleshed out character. And I don't know if you've seen them all. See, I don't want to spoil it for people, but on the most recent series, there's a big returning character. And I'm like, that guy's far more interesting than anybody else who's good on it.
1: He really is. And, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. He's actually, I think he's a great actor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Ian Griffith. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Uh, it was funny, like that scene, I think he said he just playing piano, and the next, you know, he's talking about <laughs> his drug habit back in the day, and how he was a maniac, and then <laughs> he became this better man, and we kind of believed him.
0: Actually, you know what? Screw it. Let's spoil it. I'm going to discuss this with you for a yeah. second, then. Yeah. So, did you ever feel that, like, Terry was, Terry Silver was... He was okay at one point. He seemed to have sort of like pulled himself together. And I genuinely, want, I kind of wonder when you first see him in the show, did he want to, was he actually generally being a good guy? I kind of felt maybe he was. And he probably could have stayed that way cause he saw his own flaws. You know, he said, I was so whacked on cocaine. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it,
1: it made me think of like the Norman Osborne effect, you know? like Yeah. It's like, when's he going to gobble it up? You're like, he, he can't keep it together very long. Eventually, he's just going to, like, he just got to fight. He's going to, somebody's going to say something and mention something and then.
0: Yeah, totally. You know? <laughs> and so well, we're ruining, we're ruining for people, but yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, a little spoiler bit. Spoiler alert. Uh, salty tab, yeah, our listeners are called Salty Tadpole. So I'll just say Salty Tadpole if you've not seen it. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're gonna to have to suck it up
1: <laughs> <laughs> and deal with it. Oh my god!
0: But I I, compl- I, I sort of like sidetracked and almost took the took it away from the question that I asked you, which is who do you prefer playing, good guys, bad guys, or somewhere in between?
1: You know, um, I've had a lot of people ask me what Slug is in the series, and mm. I said it's it's your interpretation because he's kind of in the middle. He's in the middle of a lot of things and he's he's connected to like these different factions, if you will. You know, he's given out information here, he's done some stuff here and there, but is he heroic? Not necessarily. Is he a villain? No, I wouldn't say that either. It's just he's reacting in a lot of crazy situations where I you know, for me, I just thought I'm like, this dude's obviously he's got issues. This character is like not well and and that needs to come across on occasion, so you would catch him sort of like his interaction with people is a little bit askew. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, to catch him in a moment where he's like he's seeing something going on, like, you know, this guy getting his butt kicked and he just starts cackling. It's just like he couldn't keep it in. It's like that little sinister schoolgirl energy was just percolating in him he couldn't he sees this and he just has to has he has to explode. He can't keep it to himself. He can't ignore and pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, but yeah, like the, the ambivalent characters, man, you have to have so much fun because, you know, it, it's almost like the wrestling thing. You get some of these guys that turn heel. Mm-hmm. People still love them. They just, you know, um, they, people want to see a redemption arc. They want to see people go bad. They want to see people break bad. I think that's something that's, that's always bit of fascination with folks the breaking point mm. you know because a lot of times you look at crimes and, and the majority of these crimes well somebody this guy just snapped one day he's been dealing with this for years and then today is the day
0: you know yeah yeah unfortunately you do see that but you're right yeah people do kind of want a redemption arc, and uh yeah you, I'm trying to think there was something I saw recently I love it when, when, when I might have a moment to blank this unfortunately but Where you expect that, you know, you're watching a film or a story and you expect that. I'm always interested when there's no redemption though, when you expect there to be a redemption for a character and they're just like Mm -hmm. nothing and they're just like evil basically. Um, In fact, to be fair, we discussed, it was something that I remember discussing when I I actually was on Reels and the Hills when we discussed the Halloween films. Mm -hmm. And I was saying that with the way they've redone the reboot, with the, the, you know, they're just continuing from the first one, we've had the, you know, the Halloween and then Halloween, uh halloween kills and i'm thinking to myself wouldn't it be interesting when they finalize it all that we don't really know why it happened that we don't get an idea why michael actually did it that it's just like he's just evil yeah because to me that that could add that you know if it just literally ends however it's going to end but there's no real explanation it's just like this guy's pure out and out evil that's it. There's no weird magical powers or family links or the rune stuff that's in the other things. It is just pure, yeah. unfiltered evil. Wow.
1: I mean, and and you could just kind of don't have to go too far in depth into it. And just be like evil exists. This is one yeah. example. You know. I mean, it's. Um, th- I've noticed a lot of times you get these characters get these mythical proportions they become so massive and people want to know where they come from you know what's what's the story behind this it was like when they f- did the first islander movie mm. and in the second one they explained it away like oh they're from another planet and, and <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't go down pretty
0: well did it no
1: <laughs> no and it, i mean, they made like a, an alternate cut of the film they had like a renegade version phoenix mm-hmm. version another where they basically said They didn't, they erased the whole planet Zeiss thing, and they just said, when they show that world with this dystopian big battles and stuff, they said the future. So, like, basically, it's like, so suddenly it's like these guys are humanity in the future getting banished back to past, forced to live as an immortal, and to go through this whole cycle because eventually they're they supposed to get there, right? It's uh, It's kind of weird, because even that was odd, too. You're like, so... Is all humanity immortal? What's, what's the future really like? You don't, they tried so hard to like jumble things up and it just looked, it's its a beautiful disaster. <laughs> the best way to describe it, I mean, uh, because if you look at the elaborate stuff they did with sets and I think they were filming their own location like in Spain or somewhere and it's just like, oh my God. And I, I mean, for a movie, what it for what it was. I mean, Russell Mulcahy is a good director. I've always liked his stuff. Um, but man, um, that that movie in particular, it's like that second one, it's like should just left it a mystery.
0: It, yeah, I agree with you. It is better when there's a bit of mystery to something. Now, speaking of things that are jumble mess, I've got a bit of a jumble mess and asking this question because I probably okay. should have asked you earlier on. But you know what? Let's makes it make it a bit weird and interesting. So sure. who would you say has influenced you the most in your work?
1: Honestly, I did. Dwayne McDuffie, God rest his soul. He was such a great writer. Mm-hmm. And he used to have a, uh, a website where you could go on. It was like a message board and stuff. And people go in there and chat with him. I mean, they had rooms and everything and they were talking about comics because he was doing stuff. He like, you know, he created damage control for Marvel. He read yeah. about every character there. He'd done stuff for DC. Then he was doing the Justice League cartoon. What's new Scooby-Doo, Ben 10, uh, Static, Shock. I mean, all these. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so he was just like this amazing, amazing writer. Went from comics to animation and it would be interesting to see. Actually, the last big thing I remember him doing before he passed, he adapted Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman into an animated film.
0: Yeah, I've think? seen it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, se- yes, yes, I have definitely. So told, yeah. But yeah.
1: a lot of what he did and then the fact that uh, as an ex- at the time I was an aspiring creator, I'm kind of going, man, I want to write. I want to do this. I want to do that. I could email him and he'd actually he respond you know, I'd reached out to people in the industry before. So I'm just like a fan letter. Hey, I really dig your work or this issue in particular, you wrote really touched me, whatever. Some of them wouldn't respond, but Dwayne was really good about communicating with his fans or he would say, I've got this on my website, check this link and it'll, you know, help you as far as like dialogue placement over, you know, script format, developing pitches, that sort of thing. And so, he provided a lot of, a lot of Intel. And then like a lot of his work inspired me. Cause I was a kid at the time when, uh, Marvel was starting to reboot. Um, they came out with a new version of Deathlock. Mm-hmm. The The Collins version. The guy was a pacifist. They put him in a cyborg body. So he was always, uh, trying to avoid killing. So he would, he, he talked to the computer and they'd go back and forth and he'd say, no killing, no killing because the Deathlocks that's what they were designed to do. But, um, I just thought it was a great series, and you had this interesting contrast between a man of peace in a body of war, and how do you reconcile it?
0: So you also have done work with regard to the radio, haven't you? Right. I, I can share with you, and it's nothing like the sort of stuff you've done, but the low-level stuff that I've done, as I did bits of voiceover continuity <laughs> work on the radio, and... Um, Excuse me, I've been responding to a message that's came through, so, so I've put my keyboard back down, so sorry. But yeah, right. uh, I had, um, I started, before I got into doing any of this sort of podcast stuff, but I've done little bits of continuity voice work for a radio station. So, how did you, how did you sort of get into the radio? What was your, uh, what was the, the genesis for you getting into that, doing that? What did you find the most challenging?
1: Well, um, they had a radio club at the high school I went to. So uh, we would make, like, little productions and things. And so um, when we weren't working on that, it was a matter of – I had a friend of mine. We would uh, we would do this sort of back-and-forth radio show, like the you know, like these, these punkers, and we'd use, like, really crappy accents and, uh, you know, just goofing around, you know. But in the midst of doing all that. I'm learning how to, you know, put together, uh, as far as like, I was, I DJed a couple of, uh, parties and things and, and dances. So I thought, okay, cool. You know, I was just sort of on that pathway and then I just went and applied and, uh, cause I thought, you know, what, what's the worst thing they're going to say. No. Okay, cool. I mean, and a lot of times you almost have to break it down to those basis components like, well, they say, no, they say, no, I'll try somewhere else. You know, but I was fortunate and got my foot in the door in the right place, right time, because it was around the year um, the FCC changed the regulations with. Uh, with uh, their licensing, you used to have to have an FCC license to be on the air for uh, radio here in the right, state. OK. And so. And you'd have to renew them every I forget how many years and you just had to pay into it. And they they got rid of it completely. So. You didn't have to have a license, so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, well, I don't need this qualification now, so this is one less issue for me, and so, boom, I kind of came into that new wave.
0: So and, and I, I guess, yeah, and I guess that that obviously will make things easier, <laughs> a lot easier for people to yeah. get into doing that uh, and doing that sort of thing. And I guess things have changed, and because what internet radio you would you had involvement with, which has been a big. I mean that's been a major change, game changer for people, hasn't it? Um, to be able Same to do thing. that and get more involved in that, uh, and I've certainly seen that more, more readily now. Uh, I don't know if it's something I should ever look into, but it is something that people have more readily been involved with. So that's you've stuck a, a needle in my head thinking about that one I actually. So I have yeah. to try and remember yeah.
1: it. Because um, the, there's a uh, Indiana University Kokomo, and uh, they had had a Internet club. It was a uh, I forget what they called the club. The Radio Free Kokomo is what it was. And so they were creating content and putting it on the internet so students can listen to it, you know, wider audiences. And they were trying to get some programming set up, and they didn't have a lot. And at the time, I'd moved I'd moved back here from Minneapolis, and I was I don't know. And one of the ladies that was a producer at the school. Well, she was at part of the, that program. She said, hey, didn't you used to have a show? I said, yeah. She goes, well, why don't you bring it back and then we can put it on here because they don't have a lot of local programming because we needed something from the community because it was going to be sort of like a – almost like a public radio sort of thing, like you know almost like public access to a certain degree. So I did a show there for like maybe four years that I have. I was doing it on weekends, and I had – guests periodically some were local we got a couple called in um and because it was internet radio one of the, the debates that did come up at one point um i would play uncensored versions of songs and one of the guys in the radio club was like oh well, you know you can't do that because uh we usually play the radio edits instead of well, we're not on the radio this the internet, the internet's oh, the like blessed, you know, Yeah, yeah. unless you're on some site, um, you know, that has uh, rampant censorship, you know, it's pretty mm-hmm. much, you can say and do whatever. And so that, that changed. I mean, the guy was really trying to push the, well, you know, the licensing and this, this, and this, and, this. and it's, uh, it's covered in the universe. So we can play whatever we want. I said, you know what, if you don't like the way I'm doing my program, I can put a disclaimer at the beginning. You know, like this we have some mature content, or immature content in some cases.
0: I was going to say, do you think the guy maybe be watching pump up the volume too much? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my all-time favorite films i yeah, it is a yeah. <laughs> It's a brilliant film. <laughs> so, on a what, what is, Lenny, what is your all-time... I know we're jumping subjects, but I'm going to ask, what is your all-time favorite film? And why? All and and least favorite. Least favorite. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, this is going to sound really weird.
0: Hey, d- Dude, uh, weird is good. I I, I, I mean, I embrace weird. The weirder, the better.
1: There was a movie came out in the 80s. It was called Ishtar. And Warren I Beatty, know it. Dustin Hoffman. And I <laughs> thought that was one of the funniest movies because you had these very great dramatic actors and they both were being funny and it worked. Yeah. You know, like Warren Beatty with a Southern accent. Sign me up. I got to see this, <laughs> you know, Dustin Hoffman. He was like, you know, he's got a kind of deeper voice when he talks. Yeah. He's trying to impress some girls and he's looking at him and goes, yeah, I used to be in a gang back in the day and they called me Hawk. That's my gang name, Hawk. And the girl's like, Oh,
0: can we call you Hawk?
1: He's like, oh yeah, of course, doll face, whatever baby. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: but I just thought it was so epically funny and they trashed that film. The critics oh, God, yeah, they just, they just drug it across coals. And it was funny because I felt like it was in the same universe as the movie spies like us with Chevy yes. Chase and Dan yeah. Like like that could have been happening the next Desert Over. You know what I mean? Uh but it, it a lot of those movies there were a lot of they had these like buddy spy movies in the eighties. I always just thought those were absolutely hilarious. always liked those. Now my absolute least favorite film It's weird because I I liked the idea of it, I just didn't like the execution. But uh Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp
0: yeah I've it's been a long time since I've seen it a very long time since I've seen it but and I, see here's a good indicator. I can't remember a lot about it, which yeah. either means it's really not memorable or I've like tried to wipe it like one of the worst films I ever saw there was a film called uh, The Mutant Chronicles, which I've gathered come came off a computer game or something or a board game of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had Thomas Jane in it and it's several years ago and it was one of these things before they got really good I don't know if you've ever seen it but it's before they got really good about mixing CGI with like the real people you know, like the sense they did with like um, Sin City and all I can remember I went to it was the, the brother and the brother-in-law of a girl I was seeing at the time and I nearly fell asleep in it. I was that bored by it. And that's they, they raved about it. They're it's great, this. And I'm like, did we see the same film?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I always say it's a bit like with uh, watching something like James Bond or watching Doctor Who. Every film or every TV, every, every iteration has something you can at least take from it. Even if you absolutely yeah. hate it, there's something... Which brings me to, I want to talk to you about Doctor Who, because you wrote a brilliant article about one of my all time favorite Doctor twos ever, which was, you wrote an article, uh, about in advance of when Capaldi became right. the Doctor. Now, firstly, the fact when I saw that you, that you'd, you know, you written for the site you had, I was like, holy shit, that's cool. Uh, that you'd written an article on that site. I was like, that is so damn cool. Uh, Thank so you. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go very nerdy. Were you a fan of Capaldi's take as the Doctor? And did you? And what do you think of the current situation with Dot Two and Jodie Whittaker?
1: I think uh, Capaldi was great. To me, he reminded me of the classic era, elder statesman Doctor. You know, he was like. There, there were moments you could you could see him him just kind of rolling in between. The first three doctors, persona-wise and energy-wise, he that's pretty much where he was at. So he was just throwing it back. He was an old-school doctor, you know, because uh, the game changed up, man. It's like the funny thing was, like when McGann came in and they did the TV movie and it didn't yeah. go anywhere. And it was crazy because I was a kid when that came out. I was in college, I think. I saw that movie and I'm like, this is an amazing show.
0: I and loved it. I absolutely loved it because I had this. I had low-level memories of. I mean, I would have been very young, but I had low-level memories of the stuff with Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred, their take on uh, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even been lucky enough to meet Sophie Aldred in and interview. She's a lovely, lovely woman. Well, still is. She's still alive. Mm-hmm. Things happened to her, uh, but. I had the memory of their stuff being on TV. And then I remember McGann's movie coming out and a lot of people didn't like it, but I was like, this is good. It works. And I love the sets, like the big cloister room that they had on the the thing. that huge. I mean, I would have loved to have seen more of that sort of massive set stuff on uh, the TV series, but clearly it didn't work. But McGann was very good. I think he was absolutely brilliant. And I love Capaldi's take. Um, I'm going to be honest, I'm less taken with the stuff that's happening now. I can yeah. admit I've not, it, it, it's not done anything for me. So I'm not watching it. I'm afraid to say, uh, Joanne, who we also have, who also co-hosts with me loves it. So Joanne, uh, please don't kill me for saying that. <laughs>
1: it's just not worked for me. The recent stuff. Well, you know, the, I think the issue and I almost feel like it's the wonder. I want to call it the Wonder Woman effect. We're basically, do you remember when the Wonder Woman film came out and people just went gonzo? Yes. Like yeah. it was girl power. It was boom. And just, it was such a well-received film and everybody mm. just loved it. And they were and Wonder Woman was right there at the forefront. And it wasn't, you know, DC was always good about, Oh, let's push Superman. Let's push Batman. Always got, kind of, those are like their de facto, but people slept on Wonder Woman. And she really came through and just blew up. And I feel like riding right the crest of that energy, they were like, you know what? We had a good Wonder Woman. We could probably make a good female doctor who. And so I feel like it, it kind of rode some of that girl power energy. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that at all. I think Jodie Whittaker, I think she's a solid actress. I think the, uh, uh, the portrayal she's done so far, it took her a while to figure out what kind of doctor she was. Because a lot of times I kind of, I felt like the way she was interacting, it's like she was mimicking some of David Tennant's. Uh, yeah.
0: People have said just, that, yeah.
1: Like, the romantic David Tennant stuff where he's like, <gasps> he's like scan something with the sonic, look at it, like, mm. with the open mouth, like, ah, I just, this sort of confused, look. Like, ah, okay, alright, let's sort this out. That's the bloody neutron flow, you know, whatever. And then, next thing you know, it's problem solved, but I, I just didn't feel like the writing was as strong as it could be. If, if the writing had been, I th- honestly, I think the Daleks overused. I know they've got some kind of arrangement or whatever, but like, I just, they're so played out, man. Daleks. I would take a villain like the master mm. over, um, the monsters any day. That's just my opinion. um, but good grief. Just the writing was just like the Moffat era. It was kind of like, you'd have good, good, bad episode, bad episode. Good. And then like, they would kind of trickle through and you would have this pattern where you're like, oh, I could probably, I'll just watch them on demand. I'm not going to sit and wait. And, no, I'm not going to deal with that. Whereas, when the doctor's really got you in his grip, when the show's really compelling, you got to watch it first run. You don't want to do the re-record because you know everybody in your circle is going to be wanting to talk about it or, you know, the message boards, wherever. But yeah, I just felt like Chibnall wasn't a bad writer, but sometimes like these... I think he kind of fell into that whole... uh, He had like sort of a one-trick thing. Like I think he made some new... New monsters, but it's just like they're always homicidal. <laughs> just do something <laughs> weird with them, you know. It's like you remember like when Moffat did the whole thing was at the Are you my mummy? And then the Oh god. Everybody the gas back. Mask. Yes. Yeah. You know, do something kooky like that. I mean and um, when I saw the whole thing with the uh the guy with the teeth in his face. I think in her opening episode, I was like, This is like mm. some shit Torchwood would deal with. I mean, <laughs> and it's funny because, like, it's in the same universe. But, of course, Torchwood could show up on Doctor Who, but Doctor Who would never show up on the Torchwood series.
0: That is strange. I mean, I, it's interesting when you mention the Master because I, uh, I've always found the Master to be quite an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and a lot of people didn't like, just going back to our discussion on the TV movie, a lot of people didn't like uh, mm-hmm. Eric Roberts take, but I really, I liked it. I think he's probably one of the more interesting versions we've had. Uh, I think he, and that I've gathered, excuse me, they've done more with him now. He's got, because one of my friends is huge. I mean, like, you want to discuss Dot 2, my friend Sean knows, just about everything you ever need to know, he does, I mean, he does, uh, I'm going to pimp Sean's stuff, but he does um audio dramas, and he mm-hmm. does uh, he, he will play the first Doctor and it's spooky how good he is because he sent me a link once, I had no idea it was him. And I'm like, God, this guy no, honestly, I was like, God, this guy's good. I wonder who it is. I'm like, it's him. <laughs> and he told me, I was like, that's you. He is that good. He sounds like a freaky. <laughs> but Doctor he knows everything about him and he was telling me how the master, they're doing like a whole audio drama thing. And I regret, I actually met Eric Roberts was about two, three years ago. And I got to chat to him a bit, but I wish I'd asked him more about his work on Dot 2. And I also yeah, wish I'd asked him about his work on The Dark Knight, because how the hell I forgot to ask about that is beyond me. Yeah. I can't believe it. I mean, I went to him and said, you were amazing. You're my favorite master. And then like a lot later on, I was like, damn, yeah. Daft, i he really remembering that one?
1: Because if you notice, the character kind of went from being almost uh, like Terminator-ish to uh, a more flamboyant villain. You remember by the he had on the Gallifrey? Yeah. After was, I like to dress. Yeah. And he was just, you know, he kind of leaned into it a bit more. He got to play more of that that crescendo for that character's arc, if you will. Uh, because it, it just kept kind of building up, you know. I mean, first he was spitting that, I forget what it was.
0: The it, was do. Yeah. it was some yeah. weird, like, ectoplasma mustel freezing yeah. snake, whatever it was, yeah.
1: Yeah, because I guess,
0: uh, I remember, the, I actually
1: caught myself listening to the the novelization of it. Somebody posted it on YouTube, and I think they referred to it as a morphant or something like that, some kind of creature they explain it a little bit more but even so it was just such an odd move actually given how the master is I guess it's not an odd move he was always trying to figure out how to extend his own life
0: that's true so So the one i sorry the the one i want a real about. Then is comic books alright how did it all happen tell me about the um it
1: really kind of started you remember I was telling you um I was getting advice from Dwayne McDuffie mm-hmm. and so I was going on his message boards website, and, you know, occasionally I'd ask him, Hey, I'm, what do you think about this or that or the other? And I still have a couple of those emails from him. I couldn't delete them. It's just like, man, that's, that's like a piece of history, you know? Yeah.
0: I know what but, you mean on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, God was, Oh, Marvel used to have an open submission policy before uh, before Disney bought out Marvel Comics, and you could go on to the website, print up a PDF and submission form. You could submit a script, whatever, send it off with the consent form, and boom, see what happens. And if all else failed, you get a rejection letter with like Spider-Man letterhead on it, you know, saying like "Don't lose heart, true believer. Try again another time. Blah blah blah." You know, they didn't use.
0: They used to do that with Star Trek, didn't they? You could submit scripts to Star oh. Trek. Um, I don't think it happens now, but at one stage you could do it. Um, and I've heard people commenting on it. Uh, the fact you could do it. It may come back to the name of a guy who did it, but there's a guy who commented on that. I think he'd submitted something to when they were making Deep Space Nine. And that's how he got into oh. his journey of making stuff. But I'm sorry. I've just, I've butted oh, it. Cool. Go on. Well. The, uh,
1: (laughs) so I used to just submit scripts here and there and I'd think, okay, well, somebody's reading them because I'm getting rejection letters, you know. And so I would, you know, solicit advice and tweak things out. And finally, it's like, uh, actually the first year I went to Wizard World, Wizard World Chicago, which I think, I think it's going to be Fan Expo now. I think Fan Expo bought them out. But when Wizard World was connected, like Wizard Magazine, uh, this is so we're talking like 2004, maybe 2005. And, uh, the wild storm was like a new thing at the time. And so I went to the wild storm panel and, uh, I, you know, they do Q and a's and they, they were showing, showing the new talent, introducing them and showing some of their artwork and talking about, uh, the upcoming stories and just generating hype about wild Cause I think that's around the time DC had, had bought them out. And, uh, Afterwards, I talked to one of the artists, uh, Ale Garza, who's done a lot of uh, God. He's done stuff for like the big two and and uh, well, the big three technically. He's done stuff for a little bit of everybody, and then I guess there was some controversy in it with a Supergirl cover he did that was I think it was one of the ones where you know the blank sketch variants, and he drew a sort of a suggestive Supergirl and some folks had a fit about it well anyway at the time he was new to Wildstorm and I went up to him and I said hey how you doing I dig your work you know kind of chopped it up with him for a few minutes and, and uh, he I said I'm trying to get in the industry I said I'm not an artist I mean I can draw a little but I feel like I tell a stronger I, 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 I paint a stronger picture with my writing
0: and so he says well, self-publish Oh, which would you be my reaction yeah. And a few people have said that, um, when I've spoken to them who've done self-publishing, you know, mm-hmm. I spoke to Tim Flynn, uh, we had him on, I interviewed him who, um, uh, and he was saying the sort of thing, same thing, but he was told, well, self-publish. Now, to me, if you'd come to me and probably even now still mentally, and I guess it's the same thing we were talking about the, the radio stuff, mm-hmm. I always think it's the bigger thing you've got to be with a named Product, or oh, the only way you get a comic book done in my head, and probably, and as I said, it is the little bit is, yeah, Marvel oh, do that, DC do that. So you had the reaction I would. <laughs> yeah, I
1: was like, we can do that, but you know what? People have been doing it, and the independents are, are getting the point now. You know, like they'll do the what Kickstarter's, or mm. crowdsource, and and I've even seen where. uh was it dynamite? I think they've been having like those cosplay variant covers for like Vampirella and things like that. And, uh, sometimes they'll, they'll do that for some of their variants. Like they'll get like, you know, Joseph, Michael Lindster to do some specific cover. And, and then people just, they want to fund it. I'm like, really? Okay, cool. Uh, in my head, can and I'm like, you're a big company. Do you really need to do that? But I'm thinking, why not? I mean, there's other smaller presses that do the exact same thing. And obviously, it's if it's it's fan service. It's like if they want that, cool, great, you know. Um, so yeah, so self-publishing. And I thought, all right, well, I've got plenty of stories to tell. And I ran into this guy, James McCord, fellow writer. And he and I had this huge discussion about, uh, there were a group of us that used to go to conventions. Like we'd take a bus to them and and the conversations I had with them, we had like a bunch of stuff in common as far as like characters we liked and comics and uh, music. We talked, we, we had a lot of like Wu-Tang clan really kind of cemented our, our friendship, you know, it's like Wu-Tang and comic books. If you got those two, you got me right. So. Uh, so I was telling him, like, you know, I, so I talked to Ali Garza, man. He says, self-publish. He was like, yeah, that's cool. He goes, but, you know, we got to look at the cost, this, that, and the other. And it's like, but then we just decided, well, what if we just pair it up? We tell a story together. We'll get an artist to do the artwork for it. We'll get the anchor and we'll, you know, go through that whole process and then take it to print and hopefully turn a profit. And honestly, it it, it was less expensive working with somebody as opposed to if I'd gone it alone, I don't think I would have, or it would have taken me longer to get to that point, I believe, you know? But yeah, it was just one of those things. I'm like, well, Hey, you know, you meet somebody and they go, so you're a writer. Yeah. What do you write? I'm like, here you go. I have a physical copy or I can, you know, sit, like I said, you're know, the digital copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people are aware of what you can do and what you're capable of. That's, you know, what better way to show off that you can do it than by going, oh, here's a here's a finished product. Here's what I've done. And then maybe the right person sees it. You know, they'll, they might have me in mind for something and, you know, some project or they might want to see what else I've got up my sleeve.
0: It's interesting that, uh, you know, speaking to you, it's you. Tim and Dre have all done the same sort of thing on a comic book production. i told him about. You have embraced brilliantly self-publishing and getting something out there, which I know I sound like I, I'm repeating it, but in the past that would have been unheard of, yeah, completely unheard of. And it's just a phenomenal thing to me. It's a brilliant thing that people are going to be able to do that. So you got, you were told do the self-publishing. And the characters and the work you've done, what made you choose them? What was the the light the ding light bulb moment, as they say?
1: Public domain characters, so a lot of them in around seventy plus years, eighty years, some in around centuries. And so it's easier to take a character that's widely known. So you don't have to sit there and go, Oh, I gotta figure out origins for this guy and so is the first issue gonna be the origin issue? I or tell that later on, uh, you know, and then it, it's like everybody knows who Dracula is, you know? Um, I mean, you look, there's Dracula toys. I mean, they've got m- movies. I think they've done cartoons, everything. I mean, uh, he's just part of the culture, you know? Uh, the vampire is such a great metaphor for so many things, you know? Like sex addiction or greed or lust or, you know, all these dark things. Nooks and crannies you can kind of pursue with those sort of characters. But, um, yeah, public domain, there's these wealth of characters just collecting dust. And once upon a time, they were popular, you know. It's like when I was doing my research into uh, Doctor Who and kind of wondering where the whole concept of it came from. I'd seen that uh, there was a Doctor Omega uh, Arnold Gallopin, this French sci fi writer, made like the early 1900s. He'd been writing characters with this, you know, little old man who's not human, looks like it, but he's not Travel around companions, you know, in a little quirky ship. And I'm like, that's back to formula. That's the source. And I'm like, hey, Dr. Omega's public domain. I could totally write stories with him. So I put my own spin on it. You know, I, I feel like he kind of cycling back to Jodie Whittaker. you know, for every person, it was like, you know, whooping and hollering, having a, you know, ready to have a big old party when they had a female version of the doctor. You know, I, I decided I wanted to take the whole doctor who concept back to formula. So Dr. Omega and I made him a person of color and I tied him into other mythologies as well. And it's just like, there's so many concepts that people have just left. They're just sitting there and it's like, you refresh them, bring them back around and you expose it to a whole new audience. You know, I mean, like, if you read The Six emperors, it's like, you got Dracula, Mr. Hyde, uh, mm-hmm. Captain Nemo, Bride of Frankenstein, Helena Troy, Professor Moriarty. Like, they're all pretty iconic villains in their own right. And so to have them together, you know, it's like, maybe you didn't know a whole lot about Nemo. So, suddenly you're compelled to go check out the source material. I mean, it just, I mean, everybody has, like, one... Character that normally will jump out of and They really prefer. I mean, playing around with the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing. I'm like, that's that's like Banner and Hulk, basically. You know?
0: Mm. Absolutely.
1: And I've seen. I mean, I've 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 sent I've sent it to a couple of the publishers before. And one of the comparisons I did get was to the uh, Lee extraordinary gentleman.
0: I was Which, going to ask you if there was any kind of influence on that as we were leading into it.
1: I hadn't even read it at uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen at the time. And so it was still kind of cool to go, Hey, Alan Moore does public domain stuff. Dynamite Comics does it. Why can't I? You know, it's like, it's already, it's like a, not a completely foreign concept. Like somebody might've heard of some of these characters. So that's where he got the impetus to, put them together as a team and they're not really, you know, whereas the league extraordinary gentlemen were, uh, you know, they were bad guys kind of forced to doing good. So it was like suicide squad ish, you know? So they were ahead of the curve really, but, um, it's more along the lines of, uh, it's, as far as God, I'm getting sidetracked. Aren't I?
0: It's all right. I, yeah. can I, what we'll get there, whatever route you have to yeah. take. We'll Alan, get there. so I was do.
1: just gonna say the whole thing with like Alan Moore, great writer, you know, mm-hmm. iconic. And then the whole thing with like him versus Grant Morrison. I think Grant wrote Morrison's great in his own right too. I mean they both are just solid guys. As far as their writing and stuff goes. And, and I do like the uh I think one of the wildest lectures I'd ever seen was Grant Morrison at Disinfocon. Like, it's on uh, YouTube if you ever get a chance to check it out. It's him talking about uh, doing magic and getting results and sigils and things like that. Like, 45 minutes of Grant Morrison. Um, I don't know. Like, I've come to notice, you know, ours is definitely not the same in so much as they're cabal, they pretty much won. They're just maintaining their turf. You know, they're, the six are basically kind of like these... A secret society, more or less. I mean, it was funny. Originally, we were going to give it a different name. We were going to call them Illuminati. And the artist that was working for us was like, man, I wouldn't do that. I think that'll throw off the appeal of this, this, this. And like, okay. Sterling had been in the game a lot longer than James and myself. And we thought, yeah, we'll come up with another one. And Six Emperors is what came to mind. And then it's, I've written further stories with the characters, and we've actually both got. A couple of stories, and it works when I to put together like a single volume at some point. That's the agenda, anyway.
0: Cool. And what would you say has been the most challenging and most rewarding?
1: Challenging is when you're going to shows and you've got people. I'm sure you've probably dealt with this going to conventions. Depending on whether you're what side of table you're on, you can be a creator, and sometimes people walk by and they act like they don't see it. They'll do this sort of. Oh, let me turn my head. Well, we walk past this guy's table, so I have to see him and sm- him smiling or waving or saying hi, you know, or I'm like, hey, how's it going? How are you? And I'm like, they'll kind of awkward, like, I don't want your merch. Sorry, and it's not a big deal. It's not for everybody, and, and you have to realize that no matter what you put out, um, there's some folks who aren't going to get it. I had somebody. Uh, I was at a signing. And uh, this lady was like, uh, this sounds like an occult book. I said, I wouldn't necessarily call it an occult book. I mean, it's got some horror elements, you know, a little bit of supernatural stuff. So go on, it sounds, you know, like satanic. I'm like, it's not satanic. None of us, we didn't have that intent going into it. We didn't curse the books. The, the red ink isn't made with our blood or anything, you know. <laughs> it, it's just weird, man, because I've had, here's the thing. Like I was saying,
0: it's it's not like the kiss comic book where they gave the blood. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and I think they actually did that. Mark Grunewald's ashes. I think they put it in an issue of Captain America. Wow. It was, I think that's actually, I think that's how the story went, but, but anyway, um, Alan Moore goes out in some left field places. I've always liked his stuff, but he can be a little rapey. We're not rapey in our book, <laughs> you know? And I mean, I'm not. It's really strange how, like, I, I just thought, like, a lot of the concepts that he. Uh, well, I mean, have you seen, like, okay, so Watchmen, mm-hmm. DC liked the yeah, story, they would change the characters. So he made these other versions, these characters, but now. Grant Morrison, I think came out with a book that had the characters that were originally intended. So it's like, he's doing another version of Watchmen with the proper characters. I can't remember what it's called. I think it was, uh, might've been a Pax Americana or something like that, or, or shoot. I just seen an article about it recently and it kind of threw me. I was like, that's weird. It's like kind of going back to formula,
0: you know, that is interesting. Excuse me, so I've always wanted to know, I always like to ask people, certainly been involved with comic books, if you could have created any comic book, or any, in fact, no, well, I'll, I'll do it how I always ask people, we're not going to tie you down to just comics, I always say to people, if you could have created anything, <coughs> or you could make anything, what would it be? What would you create? And I'm going to I'm going to name drop and go back to Eric Roberts again, because when I asked him and please, if he listens, don't sue me. You haven't made it yet. So you can't. I'm not stealing anything. I said to him, what do you if could create Anything you could make any show? What would he be or any film? And he came up with this amazing uh, to me. I think it should work really well. He's the first gentleman. So his wife's the president. And he is also an art thief and a master criminal. And he's doing all the weird criminality. Yeah. With the protection of being the first gentleman while she's the president. And I think that'll be, if he could, if he makes it, that'll be absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, it sounds pretty out there and I think it could work. Um, come on, Eric, do it. (laughs) Pull the trigger, do it. Man. If I could create anything, man. I think I would have, uh, Man, there's so much. My mind is like going.
0: I've been been a swine by throwing this one at you, haven't I? Uh,
1: Right, right. But um, I've actually kind of had this this hankering to do something with Doctor Mabuse. You remember that character from? the German film, there was like the, uh, it was like Maboose the gambler. Um, they had another, it was like the last will and testament of Dr. Baboos. I
0: do know it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've done songs about him. He could supposedly possess people, mesmerize them. You know, he's this master criminal. I feel like over the years, I've seen some cool films using that character. And, I'd love to take a crack at that. Like Dr. Mabuse. Like, I mean, if you really think about it, like it's like an evil professor Xavier, you know, Yeah. like like, this guy was like completely unchecked. Like who's going to check him? I've got a story that I started with Dr. Mabuse and I've not finished it, but that would be the move. Like, cause I, how do you defeat a guy like that?
0: Yeah, and yeah. it's like the Superman question, isn't it? In reality, I'm pretty sure that if Superman was about, he would become this. I don't think he'd be this one. That, look, the kents are lovely and all, but I'm not quite yeah. sure if it'd work in real life. I think after a while, he'd be like, "What you want me to be this mal manner person when I can just control the entire world?" I, I, I fear if it was real life, he it would be like that. I think he'd be unchecked, <laughs> yeah. completely unchecked and unstoppable. Uh. Which is kind of what I liked when you... Uh, I'm sidetracking, but when you watch Batman versus Superman, I like the fact you actually saw people having a negative reaction to Superman. Because mm-hmm. I don't think everyone would be all like, oh, it's wonderful, it's great. People would... Because it is. It's the thing of... He's an unknown, all-powerful, like, God. You would fear him. Right. You're not, you're not necessarily going to be like, oh, he's great. It would be like, whoa, what do we do with this? Oh, man. I liked... uh
1: when uh, Kevin Grevius did the Legend of the Blue Marvel. Did you ever read that series?
0: I don't, I've heard of it, but no, I've not read
1: it. Was a pr- he basically got a retcon in this character, uh, the Blue Marvel, who was this mass crime fighter, a Superman of sorts, but he was covered from leaning from head to toe. In actuality, he was a black man. He was a scientist. And, um, of course, science happens, an accident, and boom. Next, you know, he's accessing... Uh, cause I think he could actually end up manipulating antimatter. So there was an blue Marvel and an anti-man was like his arch enemy and anti-man had shown up in the modern era. And the blue Marvel had basically, uh, he'd been around. He was sort of like, like I said, Superman type. And it got to a certain point when he had this huge battle, his costume got torn up and you could see he was a person of color.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the president basically kind of, you know, put him in productive custody. and was like, yeah, so the world's not ready for this. He said they, they, don't, you know, wake civil rights are, it's like a, a, a super powered black dude is just going to freak people out. You know? And so that character had to like, you know, live this, uh, undercover life up until he needed, he was needed again when uh, anti man shows back up because the Avengers couldn't handle him, They were like, this is a bit much. We need somebody. you got to access some lost files, figure out what's going on. And I think that's right around the time Tony Stark was head of shield. So he finds him and then they bring him into the uh, modern era properly. And it's, it was a great story, you know, but it was one of those things. Yeah. You had somebody who's like ridiculously powerful. And then for a divide, the country that's divided by racism, a superpowered person of color, that would scare some people.
0: I'm going to have to look for that. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to find that because that really does grab my attention as a good read. So we've gone on, we've straight we've, we've strayed into the superhero thing. And anyone who listens will know my love of DC. I'm constantly mocked by my fellow co-hosts and to be honest, some of the, the salty tadpoles for my love of mentioning DC and bring DC into things. So... I'm not going to say DC, but I might be winking at the camera, so to speak. Uh, what films, what superhero films are you looking forward to? <laughs> uh, Black
1: Adam. With The Rock. I mean, he's, you know, he, he got himself and whipped himself into even greater shape for the role. Uh, the costume, like the little teaser trailers look pretty elaborate. Um, I'm looking forward to it. That's, that's the big DC thing for me right now. <laughs> Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about the Batman.
0: I We're don't similar, think- but I'm not. I'm not sure. We're very similar. I keep saying it'll probably be okay. I want to be proven wrong, but I'm really not sure.
1: The the thing that kind of threw me off, uh, the Riddler. He looks very BDSM. Like he looks like the diddler instead of the Riddler. You know what I mean? He's, <laughs> it's just that costume's horrible, man. Big green overcoat and a green leather mask. Like, come
0: on. I mean, I think what they're trying to do is make him more like uh, the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. But, which I guess adds an element of, you can see why, you know, Zodiac did uh, strange riddles and questions and things. So I can see why. But yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing is they're releasing a lot of little bits from that, from the Batman at the moment. And that makes me wonder, are they worried? Because they're giving away a little, you know, there's lots of stuff going on YouTube, things like that. Are they worried? Yeah. He, and I also keep thinking, we kind of seen it before. This take, there's a bit, it's like they're almost trying to do a bit of Nolan or outdo Nolan. And I'm thinking yeah. we've seen this before. Uh, for me, though, I am looking forward to Black Adam. The one I'm really looking forward to is The Flash. I am, yes. I, and I'm praying that he isn't going to let me down because I'm, I, I really like Ben Affleck as Batman. I know a lot of people didn't, but I really dug him. But the he fact it's great. him, it's him, Keaton, Keaton, you know, my Batman yeah. from my childhood. Uh, he's, they're going to be together. It's just, yeah, please don't suck.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I really feel like when Spider-Man Noah Home came out, that cemented the multiverse concept yeah. so much more, even though yeah. like, you know, on the CW series, a uh, flash and the Arrowverse and all that they had, they had done their Christ on infinite earth. So it's like the, I mean, and even when I showed the cinematic, uh, the Ezra Miller flash there and he met Barry Allen and it was just like the, the TV versions of Grant Gustin, And that was a great moment too. And it's like, I'm glad to see that the companies are kind of being more tongue in cheek about it because if, you really look at any project they do, you almost have to treat everything like an Elseworld if it's a DC-related project. Because they never... They never get everything on point. You know, they they would do their little variations here and there. It's like Marvel's kind of taken to... Uh, like the whole Shang-Chi movie, I remember his father was Fu Manchu. He was a crime lord. There were no Ten Rings. He didn't have the... The Mandarin was a different character. The Mandarin actually wore ten finger rings and they had each one had a different power. It's like you know, they, they tweak stuff or like when they do Taskmaster and uh Black Widow, it's just come on, it's
0: like I couldn't wear that out either. The way they did Taskmaster. Yeah, yeah it didn't I make mean, sense to me.
1: I mean, he even has like a regular name. For the longest he was his name was unrevealed. They finally said his name was Tony Masters. I'm like, see that's Like change the gender, we change the uh, the character design, we change the abilities, we don't care. I mean, just just give it, give it, come on, just keep paying, keep paying, keep going theaters, keep going. going.
0: (laughs) Well, I think if the one thing I would love to have seen, uh, it's not going to happen, but the one thing I would like to see in Uh the Flash, and again, unpopular opinion, but I like Brandon Routh as Superman. I liked, a lot of people I get looked so much crap off people for liking Superman Returns but I will admit this here and now Lenny I cried my eyes out in the cinema to that. Yeah. I never expected it but emotionally and I started seeing it was the proper the copying the original setup from the Reeve stuff. I wept and I actually met Brandon Routh and could admit that to him. I said I saw your film, you I was crying, you broke me sort of thing. Oh wow <laughs> And How did he react he to just, that? He was, you might have thought, who the hell is this crazy Englishman in front of me? But he was, he was very nice to me and just, I'm glad you enjoyed it, had a, a reaction because uh, to me, just a side note, for seeing Superman, it was always a deal I made with my father because he's a huge fan of Superman when he was a child. And I said, if you ever make a new film, I will take you to see it. And that was a big thing for me and him seeing Superman Returns. yeah and We both enjoyed it and I, when I met Brandon Ralph, I also got him to do an autograph of a picture to my dad. So that was a, a, a nice little gift for my dad as well. But, yeah, I really liked it. And when I saw him on the Crisis on in Infinite Earth, mm-hmm. I was like, I loved it. I thought it was really good. And I, I'd love to see him either given a series or, when it to me, it'd be cool if he was in the, uh, the Flash film. Because, of course, he's meant to be the Superman who will be the counterpart to Keaton's Batman. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not working for Warner Brothers, so, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, Ralph
1: was a good Superman and he was a great Kingdom Come Superman. It was just like to see him in an outfit, you're like, man, it's yeah. like Alex Ross and Mark Wade must have had like Proud Papa moments, you know what I mean? Like to see that on screen, it was just like, oh my God, really? Because he did sort of a reveal it when the cons a few years ago he had on like a button up shirt and he pulls it open yeah, he and he had the kingdom Come Superman logo. And everybody was just like, oh. you know, that collective gasp. Cause they thought, Oh, it's going to be a kingdom come movie. Now the crazy thing is the producers of the black Adam film are saying, Hey, they ought to do kingdom comes film. We ought to adapt that. That's been like the big talk that I've seen the past couple of days. And I thought that'd be pretty interesting, but honestly, as great as, as the special effects and everything are, it'd be great to see kingdom come as an animated feature and get some big name voices. I think that would mm. be epic, and do a theatrical release. You know, it's like when into the spider verse came out, great film was fun. It was.
0: Know?
1: Yeah. God. Yeah. And I feel like the comic companies are always trying to keep up with each other as far as, Oh, they're going to come out TV series. We're going to come out with TV series. We're going to go this movie. We're going to come out with this movie. this that, and the other. They go back and forth. Um, But goodness man just lean into it it's like don't forget that before we were seeing actors playing these parts we were watching them in the smaller screen as cartoons you know if we weren't reading the comic books so why not just go back to formula just get like some kind of really great animation style done you know in the style of that and just adapt it i would love to see that
0: yeah. I mean, the one I would love to see. I always wanted to make a film, but it didn't happen. But I think Superman lives could have been something amazing with Nick Cage, mm-hmm. the Tim yeah. Burton take on Superman. I think if they could do that as a cartoon, it, it would be absolutely mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love the death of, you know, the, de- what happened, the death of to, the death of Superman lives, what happened. Yeah. That's right. I thought that was an amazing documentary. Yeah. Um, so I have, you I, you've spoken to me for more than long enough and I, I don't want to take up any more of your time i will just say to Gemma, who will be listening to this and possibly some editing hey look Gemma, i got dc in yet again <laughs> so, <laughs> i just the yeah. force is strong with me <laughs> <laughs> man it's like uh
1: one place i work at there was a uh, I was doing a video conference and I had a Black Adam statue on my desk. And this guy starts talking about the movie, and I hold the statue up. And he's like, oh, Where'd you get that? You know, I mean, just, and just, you know, I, I got to feel I'm going to be. And I'm glad it was meeting and seeing older people that are still into this stuff because it validates me. as a I feel like I'm, as a fan, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can have a head full of gray hair and still like, you know, still like watching the DC movies or the Marvel movies or whatever okay you know
0: yes, it is so i'm gonna ask you lenny what's the what future products have you got in the offing uh project project i'll say again lenny what future projects do you have in the offing i can pronounce words i promise you what future projects are in the offing and is there anything you want to pimp as they say well,
1: um i want to definitely pimp uh, amos dash cola Dot com That's uh, formerly Amos Magazine, Amos Cola. Uh, a lot of my writings are there, my poetry, my prose. Um, I've been writing some short fiction using public domain characters. So I've got like uh, like the Dr. Omega stories on that site. I've got uh, some of the other stories featuring this e- members of the Six Emperors on the page. Uh, the Scarlet Ace is another one I've been writing for a couple of years now. And basically, he's a uh, vigilante that's sort of starting a bit of a movement. So, um, those are definitely like Amos, amls-cola.com, Amos Cola. That is who I want to uh, definitely pimp out and promote. Um, also, there's a website. Uh, it's, a, it's a Facebook page called Not Necessarily Kokomo News. Uh, those guys are doing some hilarious stuff on there. A lot of memes. And, uh, it's not just, I mean, the, the, they're local obviously, but, um, still you can be from a different region and check this out and find something funny to laugh about. Um, and then let's see, waste of Kokomo, the podcast. Uh, you can find that on a bunch of different platforms and that's the show that I do with uh, Brian Blunt, Jimmy Shaw, uh, Courtney Richardson, and we try to have guests weekly. Uh, the last person we interviewed was a, uh, there's a local guy who dresses as Batman and jogs around town. And we had him on as a return guest. So that was fun just to chat with him. So those are the big things I'm in right now. And then um, you can find uh, some of the videos and the, I've been doing some short form stuff on uh, YouTube. So if you just look up Leonard pig on YouTube, you'll find some, of my stand up, You'll find some of the video shorts I've done and I'm just randomly creating content here and there. Um, not in it for the money and just trying to keep myself out of trouble.
0: Well, that's great. You are doing a brilliant job in what you're producing and uh, I enjoy it. I'm really sure that the, all the, the Now that you give them the, the best links to get hold of it. Uh, will enjoy it as much as or more than i do um i'm not sure more than would be possible to really dig your stuff so uh, without you know we i think we've been talking of uh Codswallop on this episode uh so yeah. without further ado, i'll just say lenny thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me i wish you a wonderful day and the rest of the weekend ahead and once again thank you very much
1: cheers thanks for having me